continuing in John, 1 John chapter 4 this week. And if you would open there, we'll actually start reading at the end of 1 John chapter 3. I want to pick up the transition there. So if you open your Bible to 1 John chapter 3, uh, we'll start reading at verse 19. Now, as we look at what's going on in the world and what's going on in America today, we really see a bigger and bigger distinction between the world and God's kingdom, the church. And we see the hatred growing greater and greater and greater and the world's spirit becoming bolder and bolder. Um, the programs of the world, the hatred for the things of God, the, the teachings against anything that has to do with God, the attempts to drive God out of society completely and force Christianity to the side. Even the work in America and in Canada to close churches to pass laws that ban the Bible's teachings, to prosecute and persecute families and children in public schools for their faith. Uh, we really see that we're from different worlds. There's the world of God, the church, the heavenly kingdom, and there's the world of Satan. And it becomes more and more evident to us every day over the last few years in particular. And that's the subject of today's text, which is verses 4 through 6 of First John chapter 4. But I want to pick up the reading a little before that, starting at verse 19 of chapter 3. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God that whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments, and we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage today to give some thought to the difference in the world in which we live 
and the world to which we belong, to the world, the heavenly kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see these things, our hearts to receive them, and that our lives, Lord, might be transformed as we seek to live for your kingdom and your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, in verse 4, we're addressed again as little children. And we have God's spirit in us. We are part of God's kingdom. And we have therefore overcome them. Who is them but the spirit of the Antichrist, the worldly powers, the devil, Satan, ultimately, and his whole kingdom and all those who follow him, especially those who are doing the teaching, the false prophets, the prophets who prophesy by the power of the Antichrist who teach the things of this world. Now, we have absolute certainty in this verse of our ultimate and final victory over the Antichrist and his spirit, over the devil, over all the forces of the world. We're told he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The victory is ours. He who is in us, of course, is the Spirit of God. By this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. John, 1 John 3.24 And the Spirit, being from God, confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Chapter 4, verse 2 that we just read. Now, he is greater and mightier than all of Satan, than all of his false trinity, than the false antichrist and the anti-Christian spirit that people today are teaching from. And we know that God, the triune God, who created all things out of nothing in the space of six days, and all very good, is certainly greater than everything he created. The devil is one of his creations. He was an angel. He fell. He rebelled against God and sinned against God. He is not equal to God. He does not have the same power as God. One of the world's false gospels is that God has a vote, the devil has a vote, and you have a vote. You're all equal. But no, God created the world, and God is absolutely sovereign, and God is almighty over it. If you want to see the devil's power put into perspective, remember the final battle. It's already been decided. God has told us how it works out. In Revelation 27 through 10, after the thousand years are ended, Satan is released from his prison. He comes out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. So here is all the forces and all the nations of the world gathered together under the banner of Satan himself, to attack God's people. The mightiest battle ever. Will it be close? Not even. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes them. The devil who had deceived them is thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented forever, day and night, forever and ever. There's no battle. God says, fire grabs them, throws them in the lake, done. He has no power over God. The one who is in us, God the Holy Spirit, is mightier 
than the spirit of this world, the spirit of the Antichrist, mightier than the devil, mightier than all things. And we need not have any fear. And it's important to note that this spirit is what God gives to his children. Jesus says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you, John 4, 17. The child of God has the spirit of God and knows the spirit of God. And unless you have that, you will not know him. This verse is also a remedy against the the hatred of the world, the enmity of the world. Since God's children have forsaken the world and we convict the world of its sin by our light, by our conduct, as John has been telling us in this passage or in this book, the world constantly, consequently hates us. And it works tirelessly to try and draw us away from faith, draw us away from our godly walk, cause us to sin. It does so by enticing us with the lusts of the eye, the lusts of the flesh, the pride of life, or by threatening us to take away all the comforts and all the things of this world, or by persecutions and death. These things can cause the believer to be concerned. Will we be able to remain steadfast in the trial? But we don't need to fear. For the world can't separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 8. 38 and 39. Neither can it entice us away, nor the persecutions take us away. For in the world we have tribulation, but Jesus says, take to heart, I have overcome the world, John 16:33. And that's why here it says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, the false teachers, the antichrists, the false prophets. Because he, the Holy Spirit who is in us, is greater than the one who is in the world. Indeed, because the Holy Spirit is in us and we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God for the day of redemption, Ephesians 4.30. And by God's power, we're being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, 1 Peter 1.5. We can therefore be absolutely certain of our full and final victory over the spirit of the Antichrist, over the false prophets, the heretical teachers, over Satan and over his kingdom. Well, they, they're trying to lead us astray. John has warned us in 1 John 2.26. They are trying to lead us astray, but he has warned us in advance against them. 1 John 3.7. And all the tests that he's given us help us to identify them. Are they walking with God or are they not? It's all made clear if we just read John's book, John's letter, and consider these things. And while they are trying to lead us astray, their opposition should actually make us more courageous. It's their plan to make us stumble. But we know that Christ is mightier than Satan. We know the one in us is greater than the one in the world. They have their purpose, they have their plan, they have their desire, their end. They want us, the children of God, to be discouraged. They want to stop us from living out our life for God, living out our profession of faith, being a witness to the world. 
But we are more than conquerors, Romans 8.37. We have won. We can be victorious. We don't need to fear them or worry about them. We should be well aware of the awful power they have. This world belongs to Satan. It is in the power of the evil one. The Antichrist, the false prophets, and the heretical teachers have the whole world behind them. But the believer doesn't have to be afraid. As long as we hold tightly and faithfully to the word of God, if we resist the devil, he will flee from us, James 4, 7. If we are sober-minded and watchful of our adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. We, we, can, we can be victorious over the devil's plans. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. But we have the full armor of God to withstand the evil day. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13. Now, even now, the remainders of Satan's kingdom are rotting away before him. Christ is risen. Christ the Lord is risen. He has been victorious. He has paid for the sins of his people. They are freed from the power of Satan and from the power of death. And they will reign with him forever and ever. The one that is in us is certainly greater than the one in the world. Jesus' enemies will be laid at his feet. They will not prevail against him. We have overcome the world. However, we need to remember it is their world. Verse 5, they are from the world. They speak from the world and the world listens to them. They here being the false prophets, the false teachers, the heretics, the ones who want to lead everyone astray from God. The world listens to them. You know, we have those three great enemies we've always heard about. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh we all know about. Paul speaks about it often. I won't read the passage, but we know the works of the flesh, immorality of every kind. But we're not led by the by that. We're led by the Spirit of God. And we're to seek this, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. We've talked about the devil already, a roaring lion seeking to destroy us. But in this passage, the world is where we want to focus on. The world is a great enemy. The world is the enemy of our soul. But quite honestly, many of God's children fail to recognize just how great an enemy the world is to their soul. I want to take a brief tour of scripture. I'm going to go quickly, but I want you to think about the different points the authors of scripture make about our relationship to the world. We've already talked about John, so starting with 1 John. Chapter 2, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the world, you don't love God. For everything in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away 
along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We need to remember that. The world, if you love it, you don't love God. They're in such opposition to each other. You have one or the other. Pick. It isn't a matter that you can have some of both. Either it's God or the world. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us to what we should be called the children of God. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The world not only is hated, but hates God, but it doesn't know him. The verse today, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. It doesn't listen to God's people. It doesn't listen to God. Chapter 5, verse 4 of 1 John. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. If we have faith, we have overcome the world. We are not part of the world, but we are overcoming it. Chapter 5, verse 19 of 1 John. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You know, this is key. The world belongs to Satan. It is in his power. We are not in his kingdom anymore. We are in the kingdom of heaven, not the world. The world is an enemy. And we'll get to why this is so critical later. Paul, do not be conformed to the world, Romans 12:2, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. But by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We've talked about this testing, this testing by comparing it to Scripture. But don't be conformed to the world. Why? The world is in the power of the devil. The world is opposed to God. But be transformed. We haven't received the spirit of the world, 1 Corinthians 2.12. But the spirit is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Understanding the things of God requires the spirit of God, and he has given us that spirit. The spirit that is in us is more powerful than the Antichrist, the spirit that is in the world, as he has said, John has said. He gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age, Galatians 1.4. Christ gave himself to deliver us from the world. If he has given himself to deliver us from the world, why would we want to have involvement in the world? Why would we listen to the things of the world that it has to say? We once walked that way, following the course of this world, Ephesians 2.2, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we once followed the world, which means followed Satan. We can no longer follow the world and its teachings and its beliefs and its desires and its system because we know that it is of Satan. Paul gives a very sad example in the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. says that because Demas was in love with this present world, deserted Paul in his ministry. Very sad thing. If we love the world, we will desert the cause of Christ. Moving on to James. James 1.27, keep oneself unstained from the world. That's part of the true religion. James 4.4, friendship with the world is enmity 
with God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We've already seen this. The world and God are not compatible. We cannot have both, one or the other. Think about what Jesus has to say about the world. He talks about the gospel, the word being sown in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. In verse 22, we have the cares of the world choking the word and making it unfruitful. Being concerned about the things of this world, the pride of life, the desires that we have, chokes the gospel and makes it unfruitful. And if there's no fruit, uh, Jesus does not say bad fruit goes to the fire. He says good fruit is saved. Everything else goes to the fire. The fruitless one is cast in the fire. We need to understand that in that parable. If it chokes it and it's unfruitful, the cares of the world rendered the person unsaved. They kept him from salvation. Jesus, in rebuking his opponent, says, You are of the world and I am not of the world. You know, he's making that distinction. We are from different places. I'm from the world. I'm from heaven. You're from the world. We're not compatible. We don't fit in that together. In John 14:17, he's talking about the one who is in us. You know, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells in you and will be in you. The world cannot receive the spirit of God. And that's important because without the spirit of God, we cannot know God. Jesus goes on to say in John 15, if the world hates you, remember it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You know, I thought it was very funny. Barack Obama and the, the homosexual movement embraces Islam. The Islamists have been throwing homosexuals off of buildings, off the rooftops, killing them. Why do they get along? Well, they're both from the world. They understand that they're brothers even though they kill each other. They have more in common than they do with Christians who they both hate. The world loves you as its own if you're from the world. But if you're not from the world, it hates you. Jesus himself said that. That's what we're seeing here in 1 John as well. That's important to remember. John 16.33, Jesus said, I've said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but take to heart, I have overcome the world. Believers have no place in the world. We are with God, with Christ. But Christ has overcome the world, and we have overcome the world through him. And I hope we can see from these passages how much of a foreign enemy of our soul the world is. Its temptations, its desires, its teachings are against God and destructive to our soul. The world hates God, hates his people. And, well, that's why Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, anyone who desires to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We are from different worlds. We are not compatible in any way. 
They must drive us out and drive us away. Everything we know and everything we believe is incompatible with what they want. The, the desires of this life, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life, all of that. So then the false prophets, the heretical teachers, the children of the devil, as they're called in 1 John 3, 8 through 10, they're all part of the world, but they all know each other and they all listen to each other. And this is what I've been driving at. Paul warned us of this problem. 2 Timothy 3, 4, 3 and 4, or 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. John is saying the world will listen to the world. The false prophets, the spirit of the Antichrist speaks here in verse 5. They speak from the world and the world listens to them. Unbelievers will listen to the false prophets and the false teachers because they speak together. Now, I don't usually quote people. And when I do, I usually have to re-quote, I rewrite everything because I'm quoting somebody in you know, an early archaic form of Elizabethan English. But I wanted to read a couple of quotes by A.W. Pink. I don't know if you know him, but he's got a couple of really classic books. The Attributes of God and the Sovereignty of God. We had to read them in seminary. Uh, he's from the early 1900s. So he speaks English as we understand it. And I want to read what he had to say on this matter. Because he really nails it well. He said, it is because so many untaught, unregenerate men now occupy pulpits that another gospel, Galatians 1.6 version of another gospel, is being so widely and generally disseminated. Multitudes who have neither tasted that the Lord is gracious nor have the fear of the Lord in them have for various motives and considerations invaded the sacred calling of the ministry what kind of considerations? Well, greed, hatred for the truth, delusions that they need to correct the errors of God in the Bible. Uh, these people out of the abundance of their corrupt hearts speak. Being blind themselves, they lead the blind into a ditch. Having no love for the shepherd, they have none for the sheep, but being hirelings. They themselves are of the world and the world hears them. Our passage today, 1 John 4, 5. For they preach that which is acceptable to the fallen human nature. And as like attracts like, they gather around themselves a company of admirers who flatter and support them. They will bring in just enough of God's truth to deceive the unwary and give the appearance of orthodoxy to their message, but not sufficient of the truth, especially of the searching portions thereof, meaning the parts that expose our hearts, like the tests of John, not, not sufficient of the truth to render their hearers uncomfortable by destroying their false peace. They will name Christ, but not preach him. They will mention the gospel, but not expound it. Pretty harsh condemnation, but truer and truer as the days go on.
You, know, you think what's popular in the church today, you know, woke and all the racism and all the culturalism and the, all the other nonsense going on. In another book he wrote, or another article, the general characteristic of false prophets is they make the vital goodness to be a less strict and easier thing than it actually is, more agreeable to fallen human nature. And thus they encourage the unregenerate to be satisfied with something which comes short of true grace. What he's saying is they're making the obligations to holiness, the obligations to obedience to God, to be less than it is. He says, so the Pharisees did, notwithstanding all their strictness. Right? They had very strict rules, but they didn't actually obey the strict rules of God. So the Papists do, not boasting all, notwithstanding all their boasted austerities. So the Arminians do, notwithstanding their seemed zeal for good works. So the antinomians, those who are against the law, do, notwithstanding their pretended superior light and joy and zeal and confidence. This is a common mark of all false teachers, rejecting the divine way. They manufacture one to suit themselves, to suit their hearers, tickle their ears. However, they may differ among themselves. They all agree to make a practice of piety in the Christian walk an easier thing than the scriptures do. And so offer salvation on cheaper terms to make the gate wide and the way to heaven broad. So they follow that broad way to destruction from Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And all this explains the secret of their popularity. They are of the world, they speak of the world, and the world hears them. 1 John 4, 5. But Christ warns his people to beware, for they feed their souls with poison, not with the pure milk of his word. Kind of makes you think of the worldly wise man in Pilgrim's Progress. Okay, I don't usually read the book, but it came up in my search. Uh, he, uh, the worldly wise man has said that he savors only the doctrine of this world. And he goes to the town of morality to church, partly because he loveth that doctrine best that saveth him best from the cross. <laughs> because it suits his carnal temper. Therefore to seeketh and pervert my ways, the ways of the gospel. Though, though right, that the gospel's ways are right. In other words, he's, you know, a lot of the false teachers, they have these rules you have to follow and you'll be saved. But they aren't the rules of God. And they suspend the rules of God and make it easier and more acceptable and more agreeable to the world. And it's sad, as John said in, as Jesus said in John 15:19, if we were of the world, the world would love us of its own, but it hates us, the teachers of biblical truth, and loves and listens to the worldly false prophets and false teachers. They speak from the world in its language the things they desire in the way they can accept. And the world listens eagerly to false teachers. 
Given this enmity and this separation between the world and God, between the teaching of the world and the teaching of God, between the desires of the world and the loves of the world and what God's people should desire and love. He then in verse 6 tells us that this is how we know. In verse 6, we're from God. Whoever Whoever knows God listens to us. However, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. We know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, who is us and what is the truth? I know I'm not supposed to start a point with a question. Pastor Len will be very annoyed if he listens to this. But uh, there are times when you have to do this because I'm going to speak of philosophy. Uh, Starting off, though, first, the, the Roman Catholic Church insisted that the we and us of this passage was the church, their church, their authority, their pope. And that's what really created their church. But what it ended up doing was leading them further and further and further astray from the Bible. And it got to the point that during the dark ages of Europe, it was forbidden to read the Bible for a Christian. Only the church officials could read it. And if a Christian read so much as one line from the Bible, it was a capital crime. They would be executed for reading the Bible. The people were not allowed to listen to Scripture. They could only listen to the church and what the church said. Isaiah 8.20, which we've read before, to the teaching and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, the Scriptures, it's because they have no dawn. They're not believers. Nevertheless, Christ does require men to hear the apostles. They're told to listen to them. Here John is saying, listen to me. In other places, if they don't listen to you, they don't listen to the teaching being sent to them through the apostles, then they were to be rejected. However, no man was bound to hear them unless they were preaching the true gospel. Remember what Paul said. If we or an angel from heaven, we being the apostles, he was one, or an angel from heaven even, preach any other gospel to you than the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. If the original apostles themselves taught anything contrary to the authenticated revelation of God, they were to be condemned to hell. It was not a carte blanche for the church to make up whatever it wanted to make up and supersede and overwrite and replace the Bible, which is what the Catholic Church was teaching. Uh, And since John is the one who said this, we should remember, John is the author of five books in the New Testament. And in the context, he's been telling us about the Holy Spirit being in us. We need to remember what we know of the Holy Spirit and his relationship to Revelation. Well, all scripture is God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21 ends with this phrase, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I think what we're referring to here really is the divine revelation of God in scripture, which the apostles were bringing to the people, which all true pastors and all true prophets were speaking to the people all true teachers. And so that's what we're really referring to is the scripture as being the place that is the authority. Whoever listens to the scripture is going to be the one from God. And the ones who are not from God will not listen to it. 
You know, the Reformation broke Europe, the church in Europe, free from the repression of the Roman Catholic Church and allowed them to go back to the scripture. But it had a secondary effect, which wasn't so good. It broke the world free from the repression of the Roman Catholic Church. And that freedom gave them the opportunity, those who hated God, the opportunity to seek an existence in a a reality, if you want to call it that, a false reality, apart from God, and gave birth to the Enlightenment. You know, we need to remember secular history. The Enlightenment came about through the Reformation. As the Reformation broke the power of the church, the godless performed the Enlightenment, the godly were in the Reformation movement. And what was the Enlightenment's fruit? But modernism, a belief that reason and science would provide accurate, objective, and reliable foundation for knowledge. And since now philosophers will object to and hate everything I say, but don't worry about it. uh, Faith in God, which can't be measured by science, are therefore denied. However, for 2 Corinthians 5.7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Reason, stripped of faith, they said, should lead to universal truths. Truths apart from God and apart from religion. However, what happens if we leave out faith? What happens if we leave out God? What happens if we leave out those things which are spiritually understood? 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 14, we've read this passage many times. And I just want to focus, since I'm running really long, or started very late. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit. And we can understand the things of the spirit freely. The natural person, however, verse 14, does not accept the things of the spirit of God. For they are folly to him. He can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So all the real things, the important things about God the creator and everything that has to do with spiritual matters, the godless cannot understand. So when they seek through reason to understand, apart from faith, they cannot come to the right conclusion. And even the Christian, when they set aside faith and say, we're going to understand the world without faith, Through science, they're denying then all the things that are spiritually understood. They're denying God, the creator. They're denying all that he does in the world. They're not going to be able to come to real knowledge. Knowledge will always remain true knowledge beyond the reach of those who don't have the Holy Spirit. They'll remain, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, darkened in their understanding. Right, not just darkened morally, as First John has said, but darkened in their reasoning, in their understanding, because they don't have the spiritual understanding of the things of God, which are the foundations of our reality, the foundations of the world, the foundations of man's heart and man's life. Real truth is spiritually discerned. And since it can't be understood by the world because the world doesn't have the Holy Spirit and can't understand the things of the Spirit, and even if you tell them 
the truth. Because they're spiritually discerned, they can't understand it. They won't believe it. As Jesus said in John 8, 45, I tell you the truth, but you do, you do not believe me because I tell you the truth. Because they can't understand the truth, rationalism and reason fail. Right? They thought in the Enlightenment that somehow they would be able to come to truth through the scientific method. But because they don't have a spiritual understanding, they can't understand the things of God, they never were able to arrive at truth. And it led them to cynicism. It led them to relativism. It led them to postmodernism, where we are today. Reason and science are nothing more than ideologies, Nietzsche and Marx. They're myths created by man. This leads them to cultural relativism. Cultural relativism is important because much of the Bible is dismissed by the church as relevant to the culture of the apostles, relevant to the culture and time of the Jews, but not relevant to us. When you hear that kind of thing, Understand they're, they're, being, they're talking about postmodernism. They're reimagining God, reimagining the Bible in light of postmodernism. It said reason itself, postmodernism says, is a Western tradition, not an Eastern tradition. It's the West, it competes with other traditions and other cultural means of knowing. In the end, the world is left without any concrete ideas about right, wrong, truth, falsehood. There can be no universal truth, no universal human experience, no universal human rights. Basically, the truth becomes whatever you want it to be. Now, the reason I bring this up, and I've already hinted at it, is because these worldly movements have both a secular side and they have their religious adherence. The world does not stay apart from the church. The church, even in the days of the Reformation, had people, worldly people, hooked on the Enlightenment who wanted to bring the Enlightenment principles of reason and rationalism into the church. They were not happy with the reformers going way back to the times of the Bible, to the times of the New Testament, times of the Old Testament, and getting truth from that. They wanted it more relevant. We have greater knowledge. We have the Enlightenment. We are now, you know, in calling it the Enlightenment, they're saying we have the wisdom that nobody has ever had before. We have understanding that man has never received before. And we want to bring that into the church and we want to reinterpret the Bible according to that. We want to modernize our religion in light of what we now know, rejecting what it says in the past. Now, who were the first modernists? They were led by a man named Jacob Hermanzoon, better known as Jacobus Arminius. The Arminian movement originally called itself modernists. And their whole movement was about bringing the ideology of the Enlightenment, the center of man, 
the power of man, the, the greatness of man into the religion of Christ. Which is why the reformers were condemning it as heresy and they were condemning the reformers as heresy because they were, one was the world and one was the scripture. Of course, more recent history, there's been another modernist movement within the church, this time following postmodernism. Uh, we generally dump them all into the group of liberals, uh, the people who, you know, truth is whatever you say it is, it means whatever you want it to mean, up is down and down is up. Uh, generally, we dismiss them, but they're now they're coming into evangelicalism. You know, the social gospel is postmodernist in its ideology. It's Marxist. It's sad. It's worldly. It's enmity against the God of the Bible and the teaching of the Bible. Why do I go into this in such detail? Well, the point here, the test here, the result here, particularly in verse 6, whoever knows God listens to us, listens to the Bible. Whoever is not of God does not listen to us. When the word is preached and taught faithfully, God's children receive it gladly. The world rejects it, is angry with it, persecutes the messenger. Okay, we can all accept that. What the church sometimes fails to understand and respect is that the opposite is also true. When the worldly teacher teaches a worldly message in the name of Christ, the worldly flock to it and rejoice. And the children of God need to turn away. By their followers, you know them. Here's the part that bites hard. If it's compatible with the teachings of the world, if it's compatible with those who hate God, if it's acceptable to those who hate God, if it's what those who hate God are teaching and we're teaching it in the church, it's from the world, from the devil, from the spirit of the Antichrist. It has no place in the church. But the church as a whole is being accepting of the new messages that are coming out today, messages that are from the world, messages that are tearing the world apart in this day. And the church is not innocent if it embraces those. And the church is destroying the witness of Christ through accepting worldly teaching in the church. There can be no compatibility. As much as the world hates God and the world hates the teaching of the Bible, so the church needs to shut out the teachings of the world. The teachings of modernism and postmodernism can have no place in the Christian heart or the Christian mind or the Christian church. Let us pray. <coughs> Gracious Heavenly Father, we know, Lord, that these are hard things for many to accept. <coughs> that the church as a whole and evangelicalism especially have embraced many of the world's teachings and adapted them so that they are compatible with Christianity 
but there is no compatibility with the spirit of the Antichrist and the teachings of the devil with the teachings of Scripture. And we pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts to be careful, to watch out if the world is embracing a teaching and the church is teaching it too, that we should be suspicious and compare it with Scripture. Test it with the only test we have, the test of your word, that we might see if it is from the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of the Antichrist. And help us, Lord, as we witness to our brothers and sisters about this matter. (coughs) (coughs) Encourage us, Lord, in our faith and give us strength in this field, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.